Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Maureen, your Canva presentation looks brilliant. Thanks, Brett. That's because I used AI-powered Canva presentations. I just described what I wanted and Canva presentations generated the perfect slides. You can even make a talking presentation for people to watch on their own time. Check this out. Recording. 101 Reasons Why Beaches is the Saddest Film Ever Made by your neighbour Maureen. Is it easy to use? If you can use a computer, you can nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Oh, thanks, my neighbour Maureen. Yeah, thank you. Hey, fam. I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, the podcast from Hell of Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Like our recent episode with sisters Regina and Raina King about the why behind their production company, Royal Ties. We have such a huge love for storytelling without walls, without barriers. Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Look out, it's only films to be buried with Rewind Classic. Hello there, this is Brett Goldstein. We're taking a short break between seasons, so in the meantime, enjoy this absolutely banging Rewind classic until we return on August 9th with a brand new season of unbelievable new guests and episodes. In the meantime, I've curated some of my all-time favourite episodes, so sit back or run or walk or drive or sleep or bang or whatever you do to these, no judgments, and I very much hope you enjoy this episode of Films to be Buried with. Rewind Classic! Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried With. It is me, Brett Goldstein, and I am joined today by a writer, a actor, a podcaster of one of my all-time favourite podcasts, a father, a husband, a stand-up comedian... A legend, a hero, a superstar, and a god amongst men. Please welcome to the show the brilliant it's Mr. P. Holmes. Oh my goodness! Thank you kindly. Thank you. I just plugged in my headphones during that kind intro because I realized, for tech reasons, I'm so happy to be here. I'm a fan. I've listened oh, to the pod. Come on. I enjoy it. I told you off mic that everybody secretly wants to do it. This is the podcast that people play in their head when they're on the on the toilet or in the shower <laughs> and they're like and then he says what's the one that's giving you a boner that it shouldn't have and you're like well brett so it's awesome to actually be here this is my 2020 well pete holmes you know i'm a massive fan i love your podcast it's one of the few podcasts that i listen to on the reg uh, and i think the reason people want to do my podcast is because it's one of the few podcasts you can do where you don't have to talk about what you're working on at the moment so what are you working on at the moment? 
I love that. <laughs> I love it. But you do have something. You do have. Yes. Tell us the big news. I do. Oh, you don't actually want to. The bit is that you don't want to know that you don't. That I'm oh, not no, I do. I actually do. I, I actually was. It was half a joke and half setting you up to to. Plug about the big, big exciting plug. Thing well, I am do. I'm about to do a multicam, which you said, which really made me happy. You said, when a multicam is done right, you went, look out, which made me really happy, <laughs> which made me happy. Yeah. Uh, so I am about to start that, which is exciting for a lot of reasons, but maybe towards the top is like being with people, acting with people, being on a set mm. with like camera operators and sound people and script supervisors like it just sounds like heaven to me when i was doing the other shows i've done you do them long enough you really do start taking it for granted and now after this time away i'm like i'm gonna be amongst humans sometimes i like to think about how many hearts are beating in the room and just like look at all the hearts beating in this room how many eyes are are kind of floating around taking in what they can take in and i was like we're here together and i'm i'm super excited to try to be funny and have fun and when you're just acting see you're a writer and an actor but when you're just acting i find it's much easier to just be like kind and and sort of zen (laughs) and like sort of float around and be like well it's not my decision You know what I mean? Like you have to go like, wow, we have to beat this joke or write this new scene or like, oh, they're saying we need to change this. I just get to show up, stand where they tell me to stand, say what they tell me to say and be a nice person. And I'm excited about that. Wow. Well, that's interesting, actually, because you have been doing a lot of writing out in your own stuff. Do you not think you'll be tempted to have a writer, write a stand up brain, particularly with a live audience, with a mic cam? If something, I'm assuming and hoping these writers are all excellent, but if anything kind of doesn't quite land, are you going to be like, oh, as your stand-up brain going to kick in and go, on top of this? I think it will. But you know what was um, humbling when we did the pilot is I was like, Mm -hmm. wow, you know, the show's called Smallwood. I'm Tom Smallwood. I'm like, look at me. I'm Tom Smallwood. I'm walking around. (laughs) So we'd do three, four takes of a scene and then I'd be like, I got one. I got one. I got an alt. I'm going to try something different on this take. And I would do it. And it wouldn't work. How oh not funny God. does it have to be? You're the, the lead character. Oh you, they've God. already seen three takes of the way it was written, and now you're changing it up. It should get a laugh just based on the novelty alone. Yeah. And yeah. no one was laughing. And I was like, well, oh it's time to eat some shit and uh, take my <laughs> humble pill for the day. But uh, we uh, also didn't I guess have like. That's a- why they call me Smallwood. i actually thought when i opened it it was going to be about a guy with a tiny tiny wiener and it is but no one's going to know that (laughs) that's just your backstory (laughs) it's more of a front story a lower (laughs) to the front what i'm saying is i have a a teeny weenie oh congratulations listen uh i think from what i hear people with teeny weenies just work harder and and they're much more creative because they got they gotta make up for stuff so that's cool like the great pumpkin being number two, perhaps you try harder. I watch so many kids' things with my daughter, so the references oh, okay. are going to be a lot of Charlie Brown. Peanuts movie, not bad. Might make my list today. You put me in a real um, uh, yes and quandary there because I was like, I don't quite know what The Great Pumpkin is, but there's no way I don't want to yes and it. Yeah, well. But here we are. I won't do it again. Don't ever do a reference I don't know again, <laughs> or you are off the pod. That was my favorite. My can I say it's a plug of you? Yeah. When you did my podcast, I'll never forget it. 
There literally are moments on my podcast of agreement, of improvisation, of just two people melding that take my breath away. It's one of my favorite things, especially when you don't know each other. And the moment mm -hmm. on your episode is when I said, I called someone a bell end. Uh, it's one mm -hmm. of my favorite British insults. And I'm like, and you bell anded it. Like you yes and, but yeah. bell and. And and when you knew what I meant when I said, thank you for the bell and, I was like, friends, friends. <laughs> I was like, that's all it takes. I just need some we, good. We took each other's shoulders, looked into the eyes and went, friends. That's right. Friends. Did we just become best friends? <laughs> yeah, it was one of those. It was one of those. Quick, serious question though, if I may, about the multicam. Because mm. I have a, a thing that I, I, honestly, I'm so fascinated by them. I've worked on one in England and I do, I genuinely think, you know, they're easy to dismiss when they're average or bad, but when they're good, you think cheers, everybody loves Raymond. Like these are some of the greatest shows ever. And the writing, the way multicams have to be is they have to be banger after banger. Every line has to be a fucking banger in a way that most sitcoms at a single cam, you can get away with less big fucking jokes. However, the thing that interests me and it's early days and you haven't done it yet is how they treat the actual audience in the room. I think Everybody Loves Raymond was the best at the way the actors reacted to the studio audience mm. felt brilliant. Because sometimes you watch things where the studio audience are too excited mm -hmm. for how you feel at home watching it. And so it feels weird. It's like a disconnect. You're like, why are they laughing so much? It's not that fucking good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it, it actually it's makes almost off-putting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're left out. And there are things like, there are some sitcoms that I won't name, but there are like some good sitcoms, but where it almost feels like they ignore the audience, the studio audience. The studio audience laugh and it's almost an annoyance to them. It's like, yeah, we're just ignoring it and we're getting on with the thing and there's laughter in the background. Mm -hmm. But in Everybody Loves Raymond in particular, I think they were the best at this. They would like sit in the laughs. They'd get a big laugh and it was very subtle, but it was like a twinkle in the eye, and some acknowledgement from the actors like, this bit is killing and they would sit in it and it would spread to you at home yeah. because it was real. It was like a live connection was going on rather than two separate things, an audience and the show. It was like melding them and then you felt part of it at home. Mm -hmm. Thoughts, Pete Hopes. It's like when uh, the lovers sketch with Will Ferrell and Rachel Dratch and Jimmy mm -hmm. Fallon is in the, in the hot tub as well and he's breaking and I remember there was a time when people were, it was called the 90s, I think. People were just so mad at Jimmy Fallon for laughing. Yeah. But those are the ones that I remember because I felt like I was in on something just a little bit wicked, just a little bit yeah. alive, electric. Like something was happening that is funny. And yeah. I'm not turning on SNL to watch someone do something perfectly. And I'm not watching a multicam to have them pretend like there isn't an audience there. And that yeah. is something very interesting about, I think, the human animal is that works. Like, you can be at home. You're not there. It's actually what makes film so amazing. You're not there, but you're transported. Val and I went and saw Cruella. It was the first movie we saw after the pandemic, after we were allowed to. It, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not being dismissive of Cruella. I thought it was a really good movie, great movie. That was great. And it, and it was what was out. So we went and saw kind of like a kid's movie, <laughs> even though we're two parents kind of desperately wanting a break from kid's movies. But it ended up being really great. I, I really loved it. And it's great. there's something about cinema, don't get me started, but sitting in the dark, 
is a small ego death. You disappear. You, you're in the dark. You yes. can't even see yourself. You're gone. It's like a drug experience yes. or a vision. Let's say vision to not exclude people or a dream. So you vanish. Not only do you vanish into the dark, you vanish into the audience. There's anonymity in the numbers that you're now a group called an audience watching a movie. And then that audience vanishes and, and the lights dimming is kind of like a cue to your, your lizard brain to be like, okay, shut the fuck up. You're now going to have these people's thoughts. We were talking about like, when I go to music concerts, I don't go to a lot as evidenced by the fact that I call them music concerts. <laughs> That's an old joke <laughs> of mine, but it's true. I, I don't need to be sitting there with my own brain for two hours, especially if it's not, if it's Beyonce, that's a spectacle and you're like really into it. But if it's just like a band and they're playing nice music, I'm too up here. I Love Cinema grabs you and goes, you're now this person and someone's chasing yeah. you. Oh no, and you're in love with two people. Who are you gonna pick? And at the end, the lights come up and it's like coming out of a vision or a, or a drug experience and you go back into your body and I'm reverent when I leave a movie. I do not start talking about what I think about until we're home. I hate the people that start going like, it wasn't as good as Ultimatum, <laughs> but it was better than Greengrass's work with Damon in the Nonborn series. You know, I don't, you're supposed to shut the fuck up. You just came back from a, from a psychedelic experience. Have some reverence. Even if you think you didn't like it, maybe you weren't supposed to like it. Good example. Schenectady, New York. You're not supposed to like it. It's, you're supposed to feel the monotony and the drag and, and the craving of the ending of the movie in the same way that the character is craving death. He wants to die. And, and, and they're making you feel that. So don't go like, I didn't like it. Where was Optimus Prime? Shut the fuck up and like feel maybe something uncomfortable or, or, or inconvenient. So. I also, this is the other theory I want to put to you. It looks like I've, I've loaded you good. The camera lens is a dilated pupil. It's an open eye. So if you've ever been in a meditative state or in love, you know, when you're, when you're aroused, I don't mean sexually aroused, when, you're, when your nervous system is aroused, your eyes, your pupils dilate and you take in so much more. You take in so much more light, so much more detail. That's what a camera lens is. And then we blow up that image huge and let your lenses scan a perfect lens shot and pick what to focus on. It is a transcendent experience. I didn't plan on saying any of this, but that's why I love the movies. You, you have like a vision. <laughs> Pete Holmes, the last two minutes of watching you on the screen is now my answer to troubling bonus. <laughs> yes, yes. That was. I mean, I. I mean, I have to. I mean. That was, <laughs> that was so wonderful. I roll away. Thank and you. And you're so right. On all of it. Right. It's a really, really, really beautifully put. And it is entirely what you have said is entirely why I always argue against people watching films at home. When people go, oh, I can watch it at home. And you go, but you don't get that. You don't get the ego death. You don't yeah. get lost. It's, to, it's about losing yourself. Yeah. It's very hard to lose yourself at home. Even if you've got a good sound system and you can turn your lights down, you're still at home. You, you've got your phones, you've got your kids, you've got your whatever. I agree. You have to surrender to it. It's hard to surrender at home. That's you get it. stirred into it. It's like yeah. at the end, the trance is broken and you realize, oh, I'm not 
Jason Bourne, or I, I'm not whoever yeah. it might have been. I'm not Meryl Streep's character, or whatever it is. And we watched Cruella again at home. Mm-hmm. And I, when we saw it, the soundtrack is incredible. And when you see it yeah. in a movie theater, it's blasting the Rolling Stones. It's blasting yeah. the Rolling Stones. And you're just like, ah! like, try to not like the Rolling Stones when they're that loud. And then at home, on our little t- TV with the curtains open, not even dark, it was fine. I could see how someone would watch that movie yeah. and be like, it was fine. But I... Remember that Mission Impossible where Tom Cruise has to jump into a, a whirlpool of water and he has to go right into the middle of it and yes. hold his breath for three minutes? That's what going to the movies is, is you have to jump into that hole. And that's yes. why it's so offensive when someone is scrolling through old texts that happened to me in a movie oh my God. or answering their phone or whatever, is because like a comedy show, you are resisting the communal mind. You're, you are now yeah. not the audience. You are Steve, and Steve is answering his phone right now. And you're breaking a trance for a lot of people that need it. Human beings need escape. And we'll get when we get to my answers, the movies that I watch over and over are the ways that I process. I just had like a weird dinner, and I knew the movies I had to watch to help me process and get perspective on these strange feelings. So it's therapy. It's it's learning that you're not alone. You know when you see a movie and you just have to go for a drive afterwards because you're just like, just brought you into the moment and it brought you into life and it reminded you of the infinite possibilities that you can move yeah. in any direction, that you can fall in love, that you can get angry, that you can see something you never thought you'd see. And you just have to drive. That was me, Goodwill Hunting, 1997. We're just like, let's go for a drive. <laughs> that's the magic. And yeah. that's why it's offensive when someone's eating their popcorn too loudly. <laughs> Pete, Pete, if I ever die, I might leave you the podcast in the will and you could take it over. I love it. Here's the thing. The other thing you're talking about, you mentioned a lot of like big films. You talk about Born Out of May. You talk about Mission Impossible, Cruella and stuff. But I also like, I get super mad with people when they're like, oh yeah, yeah, that's a film you can watch at home. It's like, there is no film you can watch at home. And I, I'm going to probably keep talking about this film every week on this podcast. I saw Mass the other day. Mass, Mass have you yeah. seen it? I haven't, but someone told me they saw it it's, and they wept. I yeah, it's, four, it's, it's essentially four people in a room for most of the film. And it's the sort of film you, some people could say, well, it's like a play. And some people would say, well, you could just watch it at home, it's just people talking. It is a fucking cinematic experience. And it is so intense. And it is so... It's a masterpiece from every angle, writing, acting, mm. directing, everything. Oh, and man. there's no way you have to surrender to it. You have, it's, it's as intense, more intense than a fucking Bourne film. Like you're, mm. you're you know, I, I was holding my breath the whole time. It was mm. like, this is, this is as much cinema as Tom Cruise jumping in a waterfall. I feel the same way about Frost Nixon, which if you rewatch yeah. Frost Nixon after the Trump presidency, it gives you a whole new perspective on it because I wasn't there for Nixon. But you're like, imagine if James Corden interviewed Donald Trump. Yeah, <laughs> and we were yeah. like, oh! but it is just a play. It is a play made into a film, but it has the same stakes. But that's, you know, that's what theater is. Theater is like they're there. If someone's going to be yeah. or not to be and they're feeling it and you're in the room, there's tension. And that yanks out the stakes. Like, it makes you invested in it. And that's what the movies are doing in the theater setting. There is even, like, an unspoken frequency that I think good audiences are are trying to transmit, where it's like, 
we're going to we're going to do this good, right? I need this. Like I need this. Yeah. It's it's, it's ha- that's why the commercials at the beginning aren't the right feel. It it should be all movie related. It should be movie it trivia. Be movie. Or it should be quiet yeah. or it should be just looking at the curtain and and you're just like what's yeah. it going to be behind that curtain? I don't want someone to be like, "What's up, Fast Pass? If you want to see more <laughs> exclusive action only for you, sign up and scan this QRC code now." And I'm just like, "Fuck you." Or they show me we just saw the new james bond and they were showing scenes from the movie we were about to see oh yeah that's insane to promote that's insane. the app or something the video game or something and i was like then we're watching the movie and i'm like why is this familiar and i'm like it's because we had the decency to show up 10 minutes early and you're punishing me nobody needs <laughs> that get the fuck out of here <laughs> um, one thing just to go back to where this all started just because i don't know if there is an answer to it i'm just curious on littlewood have small, you smallwood smallwood have the execs the people making it had a discussion at all about how you're going to be treating the audience or do you think it's something you will just find when you make it well i think it remains to be seen if there's going to okay. be an audience because of, of oh of, shit coco there might be a small audience Oh uh, shit! so my dream would be to do it for a live audience i had some friends mm. I had some friends that wrote on Friends, and they were telling me about how much fun the actors would have exactly what you're saying, yeah. playing to it. And I had a little guest role on Mulaney, so that was a multicam that I got to act in. And it was so fun being a stand-up and knowing... Yeah. See, stand-up is, is not just the audience listening to the comedian. That That's not a very compelling art form. It's actually both. The audience is listening to the comedian and a good comedian, not all of them, but a good comedian is so, I'm going to be weird and say, like a lover is listening to the audience. You're agreeing, aren't Hundy you? Hundy P. Hundy P. Hundy P. And we don't mean pence because we mean 100%. We mean 100%. So you leave with the material, but you also leave with the sensation of someone was so tuned into you that if you made a certain kind of silence, they knew what you meant. And everyone leaves mutually beneficial, like we all were seen and heard today. So when I did Mulaney, I remember exactly what you're saying, trying to manufacture that twinkle in the eye, that sort of like just slight upturned smile, Mm -hmm. like, I know you like this, or I know you would do this. You're such a you're such a cad. Uh, doing something that <laughs> doing something that I'm just kidding. Doing something that you know isn't going to make it, like isn't going to make it yeah. on the show. I love oh, those sure. because it's about yeah. a tone. If you just yeah. film a show, who fucking cares? But if if there's a happening occurring, that's that's really special. Yeah, that's the thing that makes life. And you did it very well in uh, HBO's Crashes, the <laughs> capturing, capturing life. It's so hard to capture live, and the feeling of being there is very hard. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> I've forgotten to tell you something. I've just realised what. Ah, oh, fuck, Pete. I'm so sorry. No. I know you had this big gig happening. I should have told you this. No, I actually probably should have just sent you an email or something. And it, do you know what? I should have been brave and said this earlier, just face to face. I should have I called you, maybe FaceTime. I don't like where this is going. This. No, no. Well, no. And I know you're. Oh, you've got so much. You had so much. I'll just say it. <laughs> what is it? Oh God, I feel, just I feel sick. Just, saying just tell me. Just tell me what it is. <laughs> it's okay. Is it okay? You've died. You're dead. That's, dead. That. You're dead. That's not okay. You're dead. I'm dead. Dead. 
dead. I don't. How did you die? Wait. You don't want that? I. Is it too late? If I. But I. I know. What a. Yeah. What if there is an afterlife and you're like, but I was watching Succession. <laughs> How did I die? I was in a, a a motel, a seedy motel, and I heard some Love this. I heard some stray cats in the wall. Like I said, it was a seedy motel, oh. and there was a hole in the wall, seedy. Mm-hmm. And I tried to put my arms in to rescue the cats. They mm-hmm. needed help, but I couldn't get in enough. So I I took my shirt off. And I put lotion all over my body and I tried to get in, but I still, <laughs> but I still couldn't get in enough. So I took my, I took my pants off and I covered myself in lotion all over mm-hmm. my, my family, my crown Jews. And I'm all over mm-hmm. and I'm trying to wedge in to save the cats. But again, I can't, now I'm worried I'll go too far in. So I, I put like little clamps on my nipples and I tie the nipple clamps to the lamp in the hotel, stay with me to the hotel room. And then, uh, so I'm going in and I start kind of rubbing and I have the nipple clamps and I'm trying to get the cats and, and the friction gives me a boner. And then I go on the bed and I die and I, (laughs) cause I have an aneurysm. And when I die, I jizz. And then when they find me, it looks like I was just having a wank, (laughs) but I'm telling, I'm telling you, I was, telling the truth. I was trying to say, I'm so glad you asked because I need, I've needed to clear this. Yeah. I've needed to clear this. I was trying to rescue cats, not, not masturbate in a motel that looks like it was designed for masturbating. It is, it, it's annoying how often this death comes up on this podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> the old, the old looks like I wanked to death death. Oh um, my God. Wait, for, is the it looks like I wanked to death is a real one? Oh, no, I'm joking. That I'm would be so funny if everyone so funny. was like, I'm afraid that it's going to look like I wanked. You're the first. I'm the first. You are the first. Wow. I'm honored. I'm When I'm filing that police report, I'm just going to struggle with the nipple clamps explaining that I, I don't quite get what the thinking was to save the cats well i didn't want i didn't want to get sucked into the cat hole what if it was an alternate dimension and i was like i'm using my hands i'm using my knees and my feet i need something and i go earlobes too risky nips you know what it was a heroic death thank you that's what i'm saying well the cats died the cats oh yeah but but you tried (laughs) the cats are they're all dead they're all dead and you're dead so what it looks like is that you wanked yourself to death. Killed some cats. Looking at dead cats. That's it. That, that yes. was your kink. I can only do it if there are dead cats. <laughs> oh, no. Well, We've done it. We've it's... made it the worst answer. <laughs> it's that quite could... the legacy you're leaving. <laughs> could possibly be. Do you worry about death, Pete Holmes? I think about death a lot. It's part of my, oh, God, my spiritual practice. <laughs> um, but it is there's a great um, Ram Das quote he's like when you accept there's a okay I'll start actually with the Tao Te Ching the Tao Te Ching says he who finds or she who finds their way in the morning can gladly go in the evening that's one of my favorite uh, little stanzas in the Tao Te Ching and I, th- I find that to be one of the meanings of life is to prepare for death. I don't want to go like the science project and go like, that was due today. Like I would like 
to be like, oh, right, we've given this its due. There's another great Chinese proverb that says death and love are the two great gifts most people leave unopened. Meaning it's not an error. It's part of what imbues the whole thing with meaning. And it's a clue to kind of how it works, impermanence, um, learning to let things go. We say on my podcast all the time, would ice cream taste good if you knew you lived forever? I don't think so. I actually think you're eating ice cream and you're kind of like, I'm going to die and I'm eating ice cream right now. This is fucking awesome. But if you were just kind of floating in the ether, orgasms whenever you want, ice cream whenever you want, whatever, whenever you want, I think you would create this. And you know what's good evidence for that? That this exists. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like an interesting way to think of God as something that could do whatever it wanted. Alan Watts says, if you could have an orgasm that just keeps getting better and better and better, how many years would you do that for? How many thousands of years? And then he goes, how long would you do it before you make a button that says something happens? And that just changed mm -hmm. my life when I heard him say that. I was like, we want some degree of not being in control. We want to have mystery to grapple with. We want to have loss to grapple with. So yeah, I think about it a lot. And because of, and we don't have to get into this, but because of certain psychedelic experiences, my death anxiety has shrunk to the size of a pebble. And I, I would say it used to be sort of a Mount Rushmore, sort of like, oh no. Wow. Yeah. So you you were masturbating nonstop, relentlessly, and then Alan Watts said at some point a button will appear that says something happened, and you stopped. You went, oh, I should get on with things actually. I'm glad that's what you took from it. I'm glad that's I what you really... got. <laughs> oh my I god! Stop relentlessly masturbating because there are there's ice cream to get to. Oh my but god! What? what? No, but no, but come on, no. seriously, Bellin. no, no, right. stop it. Can you tell me, when you say the psychedelic stuff, you don't have to go into all of them, but as in, have you done stuff that's made you think you've seen the other side or anything like that? Yes. And well, to summarize, I think I can summarize it quickly because we all just want to, we want to get to the films. Oh, oh yeah, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot that's what we're here. You are fun. <laughs> the summary is, and you can, you can, I hope you keep this. I'll say the short one first and then the slightly longer one is you, people are afraid of the void, right? If I could tell you something that I have experiential understanding is true, I mean, I can still hear my brain going like, that might not be true, but something deeper has occurred. Something has transformed. I really know this in my bones to be true, is you are the void. So there's no blackness coming to get you that isn't you, that isn't the all and the everything. And that when you die... It's like being a spoonful of sugar and you're stirred into a glass of iced tea. And bread is gone, but bread is also there because everything that ever was, is, or ever would be is all there at once and time has stopped. A good metaphor for that would be heaven. Oh, there are my dead relatives, but it's really much crazier and wilder than that. And there's nothing to be afraid of because it's you. That's really, if, I, if you were dying today, I would say, Brett, trust yourself because your consciousness, what science and you and I would call consciousness, that is your truest, deepest self, and that consciousness is divine. So you aren't going anywhere. What isn't God is being stripped away, and what is God remains, and that is a fucking, you could call that the good news. That's like fucking good news. And when you worry about the world, I go, like, I have a bit about this. I go, like, it'll be okay. And I go, I don't mean us. I don't mean humanity. Like, we could be like dinosaurs. 
I mean who you really are is life itself. You are life itself. Life itself is looking out your eyes, beating your heart, filling your lungs, and it walks around and pretends that it's bread. Oi, I'm on a show called Ted Lasso. And you go around. That's all just play. That's what my daughter's name means. Leela means the play of the universe. And the good news is you are something eternal, and that is consciousness itself. And when you die... Like a lobster, you're pulled out of its shell. Bread is left behind, the red pinchy part, but the meat goes up and in and out and stirred. And bad news is, like this show, you are gone. Good news is, you are and always have been everything. <laughs> and if that sounds woo-woo, I could point to the Old Testament, I could point mm. to Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, and the New Testament uh, and back that up. I love it. It's nearly made me cry. Well, that's great because that means that means you heard me. It's like really good stuff. Oh, I did hear you. <laughs> it is really good stuff. You ended on "You Are Everything," but you are you started on "You Are the Void," and that hit me hard. Yeah, <laughs> that hit that's, me hard. That's one of my mantras. I I would recommend meditating and say, "I am the void. I am the void." You are what you're afraid of, and that's absurd. It's afraid. You're afraid of yourself. You can trust yourself it's you it's you it's you it's great it's greatness so that is it who is that guy the philosopher is it a philosopher you stare into the void and at some point the void stares back yeah i've i've, I've heard that too i can't recall who said it but and that is like so you're just saying yeah that's looking in the mirror exactly it's looking in the mirror well it's basically the idea that nothing doesn't exist that's a good one nothing doesn't exist like there is no nothing and like i have a joke it never really works that well but i go you know, some of my atheist friends think you die and you just become nothing. And I'm go, I'm like, in Buddhism, that's called wishful thinking. That means liberation. That means you go into the nothing, the big nothing, the no thing. You are not an object. You are what other traditions would call God. You become no thing. You become beyond objectness, beyond thingness. That is, and, and atheists are just like, no, by not believing, I'll just get that. They're like, no, you have to like... <laughs> Go around and around and around until you realize that that's what you've always been or whatever, you, however you want to paraphrase it. The other bit that I do is we're all stuck with the Big Bang. I say thanks for nothing, uh, meaning it's just like an explosion and everything is here. And when you picture it in a film way, it's like darkness and then something explodes. But it's not darkness. It's nothing. It's nothing. You can't even picture nothing. Yeah. Like you can't film it. It's nothing. It It is nothingness. And then for some reason that nothingness erupts into everything. So even if you're, and most of my friends, and I love them dearly, are atheists and agnostic, and I love them dearly, and I'm not trying to change anyone's mind. I'm saying we're all on the same page, basically. You have nothing erupting into everything. I anthropomorphize that nothing energy into something that we call God, a metaphor for a mystery, a mystery, something we don't understand, something we can't understand. So I call it God, you call it nothing. What's the fucking difference? Either way, you have nothing erupting into everything or you have God erupting into everything. You have something science can't prove, touch, taste, photograph. We have no evidence of nothing or something you can't see, touch, taste, photograph. We have no evidence of God. We're all on the same side. No one knows what the fuck is going on here. That's why my shit is get in touch with the God in you. Get quiet, get still and recognize that there's something, there's isness in you. You are the experience of isness. You are isness. It is passing through. you. It's how you're hearing me right now. That's your consciousness. It's it's hearing, it's absorbing, it's coming into you. That is your deepest DNA, and that will always be fine. Bad news, you'll go, 
I, I, and by the way, I understand I haven't died, so I don't know. But I did have an experience, a very, very convincing experience, where I was like, don't worry, you're a lobster. <laughs> well, I got news, buddy. You are dead. You are gone. <laughs> but you are everything. And also the void. And you are in heaven. You know what heaven is? Nothing. Heaven is nothing. It is everything. And it is a void. <laughs> And you, yeah, and you are sugar in some green tea. Some green tea, you didn't expect that. Yeah, I didn't. And it's not ice, it's hot. It's hot in heaven. (laughs) Surprise. (laughs) It's hot green tea. A little bit of caffeine, not too much. It's not going to freak you out. It's just going to wake you up. Yes. About 35 milligrams. Heaven. No thing, <laughs> just a little little sprinkling of caffeine, just a little like, oh, because you're a bit jet lagged, you've just got there, oh, what? Yes. what is this place? Yes. And it's filled with your favorite thing. What's your favorite thing? In the world? Mm-hmm. Well, it's cheesy, but my wife and daughter. Your wife and daughter are there, but here's the thing, there's they... shit loads of them. <laughs> it's wall to wall, your wife and daughter. It's like they've been cloned. It's, it's nice and simultaneously a bit scary, like 300 leelas run at you. And they're like, daddy, as one. And they like, rah, rah, like sort of cover you. Like and the, then Val's like, yeah. Pete. And it's just like a mountain Tidal wave of mouse. Uh, okay, and you wait. go. <laughs> My favorite other thing, angel food cake, very on the nose. I like angel food cake. Uh, well, the, the the furniture is made of angel food cake. Oh, okay. And so you can sit, you can eat it, you can just sit on it, you can sleep on it. It's comfortable. It's a yes, good, yes. good texture. Yes. Uh, but also, if you're bored in bed, you can just <laughs> start eating your bed. <laughs> it's great. It's no thing and it's great. And it's everything. Anyway, when you're there, everyone that's there that is mostly clones of uh, Val and Leela, uh, <laughs> they are so excited you're there, but they want to talk to you about your life. They want to talk to you about your life through film. Because you know what they're like. Leela and Val are completely upset. Leela in particular always talking about film. You're like, shut up, Leela. There are other things. Anyway, so they want to know about film. They go, what's the first film that you remember seeing, Pete Holmes? Can I share that on the document that you sent out, it says E.G. So, for example, E.T. Do you have to use a movie that's also two letters? I'm like, what's E.G.E.T.? Is this a DNA code? E.G.E.T. E.G.E.T.A. A.S.A.P. P.I.V. I'm going to tell you the first film that I remember seeing in the theater. And it's 1991, which means I've definitely seen loads of movies. But the reason why this one stands out is because I was in Woburn, Massachusetts, And my dad and my brother and I were going to the movies. And like the movie, The Squid and the Whale, my family really was like two teams. It was my brother and my dad and me and my mom. So I was sort of with the other side. (laughs) Like the the mama's kid is with dad and brother. So we're being men. And the choice of what movie to see came to me. Somehow it came to me. And I was like, we're going to see Drop Dead Fred. We're going to see it. Uh, I am putting down the hammer. We're going to see Drop Dead Fred. Because an imaginary friend who's like funny and I think British and and Randy and wild. I was like, this is going to be great. And if they had enjoyed it, I would have enjoyed it. But they hated it. So their hate oozed onto me. And then I was filled with 
the shame, shame of making them watch this movie. Even my yeah. brother sold me out and didn't like Drop Dead Fred. You gotta like Drop Dead Fred. He's looking up ladies' yeah. skirts and stuff. And he's he's wild. He that's exactly what little kids want. But yeah, is he older or younger, your brother? He's two years older than me, so. That's horrible. I, there's nothing worse than sitting with someone who isn't enjoying the film. That's why I don't like taking anyone to the cinema. It's not worth the risk. I've heard you, you say that on the pod. Yeah, like, just go alone. Horrific. Yeah. Horrific experience. Because you also feel that shame is so weird. It is like a feeling like you made it, like you made this film. Yes. And it's not, you didn't make, you didn't make that film, but you feel the shame of like, oh, I'm so sorry I put you through that. Yes. Awful. That's absolutely right. I, I still remember that my dad had his hand on his forehead like this. <laughs> and dude, without making it too much like my show, he is a sexual imaginary friend. Like he is sort of like the id. And like, I was like, I swear I don't like this stuff. Because he's like, ah, look at that bird's titties. And I'm just I'm a, I'm going like, I don't want to look at any bird's titties. <laughs> it was horrible. I would have preferred to seen The Exorcist. And my dad, when, before that, here's another answer. He was watching Goodfellas in the living room, and I saw the knife scene with the mm -hmm. trunk. And I was like, yeah. I didn't make that face. And you make that face for Drop Dead Fred? I pretended to like Goodfellas for you. <laughs> hey. You know what? Your dad was looking in the mirror, and he didn't like, he didn't like that you could see that he was looking at himself. And there he it was, is. Drop Dead Fred. Oh my God. That was a big, that was a big thing that was going on there. He oh. felt if you can see him uh, relate to this film, you'll see him. So he has to pretend that he's horrible. You're showing a mirror to him. Yeah. Can I say, every yeah. time I would come in and my dad was watching The Sopranos, he would turn it off, not to keep me from seeing it, but to keep me from seeing him see it. I swear to you. I, I remember it vividly. Tony's looking at a, a, a stripper and eating like carrots or something. And my dad was like, oh, it's a, it, that's a sad life. And like turned it off. And I was like, <laughs> you, you're 42 minutes deep into an hour episode. You're going to turn it off because I walked in. My dad's still that way. He, he saw George Carlin and he goes, yeah, it was great. The first thing he said was fuck Oprah, fuck Lance Armstrong and fuck somebody else. And then he, he, went, <laughs> and he went, there's no need for that kind of language. <laughs> like he remembered, <laughs> he remembered he was my dad. I was so, I was, I was probably 25 at the time. And I was like, that's thank so you. Funny. I'm glad we can relate. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. And then he was like, you don't have to, that filthy language. <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck. We were so close to being people. <laughs> That's really good. What is the film that scared you the most? Do you like being scared, Pete Holmes? Not really. I don't. Why is that? Is that because you're a big baby? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I don't. It's just not for me. This isn't my answer, but I remember seeing the movie. I walked out of the others when they were like, there's a grandma and she has bad breath. I was like, bye. <laughs> I was so happy to walk out. I was just like, really? It was like Mark Wahlberg in Three Kings. I, I'm sure yeah. it is. Remember Mark Wahlberg in Three Kings when he gets released from the torture? He's so happy. Yes. And he's, he's like, hi. 
Yeah. Yes, I was that high because I didn't have to ever see that grandma. I still haven't. And then there's the one where the people knock on the door. It's Liv Tyler. Is The Strangers. The Strangers. And I watched all of The Strangers and I'm like, I wish I hadn't seen that. Anytime mm-hmm. I'm home alone or in the woods, the woods, one of yeah, God's beautiful gifts, the woods, the little cabin in the woods. Never in a film. Not anymore. Not anymore. Never in a film. You did, did you watched it too? No, I'm saying woods are never good in a film. No. They're no. never good. No. The one that scared me the most is embarrassing because you'll never have gotten this. I promise. The fourth kind. And I'm going to tell you why the fourth kind Alien scared film. me. Yeah, Alien film. Alien film from about 10 years ago. I think it was more than 10 years ago because I was in New York. Well, wait. Yep. It was was probably 15 years ago. So I was old enough to know better. But as I've already said, I don't really (laughs) see a lot of horror movies. And the conceit of the fourth kind is, and I don't mind ruining it because you can, it's, I don't think it's like a good, I don't know. I don't think it's like, I never hear anyone talking about the fourth kind. Let's put it that way. The fourth kind tells you that it's real. It's telling you this is found footage. It's using like body cams. It's using security footage. It's using like cruiser footage. And it's shot in a way that you'd think it was a documentary. And there's reenactments, but like most of it is like VHS footage. And I'm embarrassed. It worked. I thought it was real. Because, Brett, at that age, I was like... They can't lie. They can't <laughs> lie to us. Oh, right. It opens with Mira Sorvino. Is that her name? And she's like, yeah. hi, I'm actress Mira Sorvino. Like talking down the lens, oh, wow. going like, this is not a movie. This is real. <laughs> like she's telling you. And I'm sitting there yeah. going, it is. Mira Sorvino said it's real. <laughs> and the premise of the movie is not only are you going to be abducted? And it shows that. You probably already have been abducted dozens of times and you don't remember. That's what the fourth kind is. The fourth kind is an abduction. So I had a roommate, but I was like, you know, sleeping alone. And every night after that movie, I was thinking I like these weird Sumerian speaking aliens were going to come in and take me. And then someone told me it was fake and they made fun of me mercilessly. But I didn't even care. It was like yes. five comedians were ripping into me for being a huge idiot. And all I was thinking, I mean, they were being really vicious. And I was yeah. smiling ear to ear because I was like, thank God that wasn't real. That's, uh, that's, that's the most nice. scared. That's the most scared I was. That's nice. I want to see that film. I want to see a film with Mira Savino saying, hello, I'm Mira Savino and what you're about to watch is real. Well, that, you'd only have to watch the trailer. I believe that's the trailer as well. Looking back, there are parts, I I mean, it would never trick me now knowing what we know about movies and stuff, but like there's a suicide in it. Someone shoots himself and they blur it. And you're like, why would they blur it if it was, if it was like, just show it. And they blur it like out of respect for the dead. It's like pixelated. It like they, they did a good job to me. I like that. What's the film that made you cry the most? And are you a crier? Do I need to ask? (laughs) Film is one of the ways that I cry. It's one of the things I like about it is that it helps me to cry. Moonlight, I can't not cry the entire movie. I cry the entire movie uh, without boring you. I, I think that movie is has like a 
divine second meaning, which is we all know that there's something that loves us and that we love it. And we sort of have to like, we resist it. We become strong. Chiron becomes strong and he puts in his grills and he gets his gun. No one's ever going to hurt him again. And that's our personalities. We build up these personalities. But truth, in his case, that he's, that he's a homosexual, truth is chasing you. God initiates it. Beauty and mystery initiates it. If you're called to meditation or prayer, you're always seconding, seconding the motion. And that scene at the end where he's cooking for him, that's love. We don't have to say it's God. Love is seducing you. Love is cooking for you and sprinkling the cilantro on the rice. Why does that scene matter so much? Why does the film work when you never see them make love? You think it's going to end in like a, a sex scene. You don't need the sex scene. The sex scene is him cooking. The sex scene is him looking at him and knowing him and touching his hand. And, and, and that is my belief is that truth, your truth on the psychological level and also on a cosmic level is putting the good sheets on the bed. It wants you. It's something that wants you. It's not a tormentor. It's not going to kick you into hell for being who you were. It's not like that. It wants to merge with you. It wants to make love with you, basically. And that's what that movie is. So I, I lose it. But then also just on the surface level, when he asks what is a... I think it's the F word. He says, what does that word mean? Yeah. I'm just losing it. I'm yeah. losing it. So that movie is definitely one of them. That's a very, very, very good answer. I cry at most films. The one I remember is, and that's true. If my heart is open, I'll find something to cry at in almost any movie. But Dead Poet Society is the first one because it was Burlington, Massachusetts, and I'm weeping at Oh Captain, My Captain. And the woman in front of me, this birdie twat, turned around and looked at me with shame. She gave me the shame look, like, get a hold of yourself. And I wish I had her home ad- I wish I had her home address just so I could send her a vase full of dog shit. <laughs> like, who shames? I must have been yeah. 11, 12. Wow. Her look seemed to say, you're too young to even get this. I'm like, this movie's about people my age. I get this better than you get it. Like, it was, yeah. it was a rough one. I'm sorry. And Matrix Revolutions. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so many shame visits to the cinema. It's just, it's I know. What, yeah. what, is, what is the film that you love? It is not critically acclaimed. Most people don't like it. But you think those people are wrong and dumb and you hate them. <laughs> I don't know. I should have looked it up. But I'm assuming the movie Lucy is not critically acclaimed. I love Lucy, and you're right. Lucy is a mixed bag, and a lot. I know a lot of people that hate Lucy, and they're they're idiots and they're dumb. Thank Lucy's you. Great. Lucy. So what? All this sort of like whatever you these sidebars, these little spiritual sidebars I have. That's what that movie is. When you realize that mm. the sap in a tree is moving up which it is. It moves against gravity. When you realize that a spring is moving up a mountain to come down the mountain, like these insane world we live in. Uh, when she talks about remembering the taste of her mother's milk, you just that, that movie is imbued, I'm going to say imbued again, with so much comfort. And like, if we knew more, we would worry less. That's like the point of that movie. And I just love watching Scarlett Johansson be so calm. You have all the fun of like, uh, like what was that? Um, Nobody. Movies like Nobody. The, the ass-kicking, 
guy who never gets shot, you know, nobody. But you get that with like metaphysical sprinklings. And I think a stylized direction that is really effective. I I, I really like that film. You get, um, do you know what? You get 10 points for that. (laughs) It's the first answer you've given that scored, weirdly. What is the... What is the film that you used to love, you loved it very much, and then you've watched it recently, and you don't love it anymore, and that might be completely personal reasons or something's changed in your life? What is that film, and why? I'm glad you said it could be personal reasons, because I think Field of Dreams may still be a good movie. But here's what I... I just tried to rewatch it. Here's what I didn't like about it. Or what felt very 90s about it. Right. If you made a movie now about a guy who makes a baseball field and ghosts show up. When those ghosts show up, the first thing a modern 2021 audience would want to know is like, how did you get here? What? It, where were you? Where have you been? Uh, yeah. What do you think is happening? Like, how do we replicate it? Is it science? <laughs> is this a wormhole? Is there a fold in the dimensions? And in Field of Dreams... <laughs> he builds a, a baseball field. Yeah. First of all, it doesn't show him looking up how the dimensions of the baseball it. field. He just knows how to right. do it. We would want the the Google scene. Uh, you're right. You're, <laughs> you just, you're missing. You're like, there's not enough admin at the start. I, I want it to you want feel. The admin. I want some admin. Is that a real term? Um, it is now. <laughs> you want some admin. I didn't know if it was a writer's room term. I want uh-huh. more hype of how he didn't knew how to do it but in the movie he makes the field then there's sort of an arbitrary waiting where it's christmas mm-hmm. and he's literally looking out the window and he's like yeah. shoeless joe where you at buddy <laughs> and you'd yeah. think something might happen in his life or in him that would change that would make the ghost show up but it really was just waiting like it was just like mm-hmm. just wait maybe that's fine shoeless joe does show up yeah. Uh, it's like one of those trailers you could cut as a horror trailer. Yeah. Because he built a field and then a ghost shows up. And when the yeah. ghost shows up, the wife character says, this is what she says, Brett, to the arrival of a ghost. And even worse, as predicted from a voice. So yeah. like, this is now confirmed as real. Your husband is communicating with the other side and there's a ghoul on your lawn. She says... I'll put on some coffee. Then he goes out and all they do is play baseball. He just starts pitching baseballs to him. And the way that the movie addresses the absurdity of what's happening is Kevin Costner, our parents, Brendan Fraser, Kevin Costner (laughs) is pitching the ball and he goes, I'm pitching to Shoeless Joe Jackson. That's how they address it. And all I'm saying, I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I'm saying what makes it feel dated and what made me not enjoy it was that it's not doing what modern films do, which is when something supernatural happens, they play it for real. In this movie, they were like, look, we got to get to the better stuff. We can't have a 30-minute sequence of him being like, wait, do you remember how you got here? Like, why are you the age you were (laughs) when you played baseball, not the age you were when you died? Like, are you frightened? (laughs) And she just goes, I'll put coffee on. She should have said, I'm going to get the fuck out of here. There's a ghost. Pete Holmes 
I've never done this before. I'm taking away the 10 points I gave you. Oh, <laughs> Those 10 points God. are being removed. I'm very, I'm very, you know what? I'm not angry. I'm disappointed. And I'll tell you why. Because w- when you were describing it to me, it gave me shivers. And I'm shocked that you find it this way. Because the film, what you just described to me and what I remember of it, is all the divine, is all the things. The reason she says, I'll put coffee on, the reason he doesn't ask questions is because he's had this voice, he's had this vision, he's had this thing. It's like a dream. If he if he pushes it, he might wake up and it all goes away. They're all living in this fucking divine space where it's like they believe in this thing, but they're also, are we mad to believe in this thing? And then the thing starts happening and it's like, of course they don't poke it and ask questions because it might all go away. They might are we insane? It's like, I'll, I'll put coffee on, you go out there and you play with him. It's like, don't ask questions. Like, he's a baseball player and he's coming and thing and he looks freaked out. No one knows what the fuck's going on. Let's fucking just keep it, keep it safe over here. I understand. It's like a dream. That's, don't wake it's up. It's like a dream. If we, don't wake up. If we go, if we ask something, you're going you're gonna to go. He's going to go. Look, I'm not married to my opinion because everything you said made perfect sense to me. And I'm not saying that to try and get those 10 points back. Although I would. <laughs> I also want to say that it's one of those yeah. movies that my dad likes so i was watching it with a chip on my shoulder so that could be it yeah well i'm gonna uh, no nope. for, for, don't no you could i'm gonna give you three points back for acknowledging <laughs> that <laughs> and i'm sorry listen i don't like to be combative i'm gonna go like put, to... i'm you know what now i'm gonna push back i'm gonna go put coffee on i'm yeah. gonna can we do it again brett can i'm the director now yeah. can we just okay, do okay. one where you have a moment where you're like and someone goes, no, 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 don't, don't overthink it. I'm going to put yeah. coffee on. Just, just, okay. just, just, just go see him. Just go out there. Just go see him. A yeah. little bit of the, the holy fuck. Yeah, what do we, feel what, do, what do I do? Just, just, I don't know. Throw I can't, throw I can't go out. There's a, there's a, I, I heard a voice and now there's a fucking ghost. There's a, I'm just saying that is the more modern way of shooting that same scene with the same script. It's happening in her eyes, in Amy Madigan's eye. Amy Madigan. She's, in her eyes, she's going, fucking hell, what do I do? I'm going to put some coffee on. She's doing it. Oh, it's all there, Pete. Come on. Because <laughs> <laughs> you were watching it at home. You weren't on a big screen. You watch it at the cinema. You'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm here in the dream. I think you're absolutely right. I'm not just agreeing to be agreeable. I'm going to give yeah. you one worse. I watched it in the sauna. And sauna movies, <laughs> I have uh, what? very low How patience. long do you sit in the sauna? Uh, Isn't it 50 minutes? So I five get zero. Five zero. So I'm watching movies in two chunks. You know I love uh, health and shit. What's the benefit of sitting in a sauna for 50 minutes? I love that I get to tell you something that you don't know about yeah. fitness. I do I do ice stuff. I don't do hot stuff. I also, well, I do that and then I get into a, a cold shower. It'll get you, get you nice and high. It's proper high. What, what, what's happening in the 50 minutes in the sauna? Well, I believe it's something like 600 calories an hour. Six. Oh, so it's like a workout where you're just sitting still and watching a movie, and your heart—it's really hard to stay Sweet. in. It's and but if you can get lost in a movie, it's easier to sit there. So it's really good for your heart. It's really good for toxins, things like mercury, things you want to get out of you. Uh, that's really helpful. Plus, if you're into woo-woo stuff, if you have an ailment, chances yeah, but- are someone's going to be like getting an infrared sauna. So I just get into one before anything's going on. But being really hot and then being really cold just makes me feel high. I love it. So sorry we argued. That's our first argument. Uh, Tell me this. What is the film? Well, now that... I don't feel safe. <laughs> no, and I, I'm just I, I'm never... I'm so ready. When I, so when ready I said Field of Dreams, Val yeah. was like, it's, it's going to be controversial. 
She knew. He's not going to like that. She knew. He's not going to like that. Yeah. What is the film that means the most to you? Not necessarily the film itself is any good, but the experience you had around seeing the film that will always make it special to you, Pete Holmes. Okay, I do have two answers, but I'm going to give you one. And then if you want the other one, you can have it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because I want to respect the format. Thank you. When I was a waiter at Bennigan's, which makes immediate sense if you think about my face. (laughs) Like, you can just see it. I was a waiter at Bennigan's. You used to get two holidays off. I believe it was New Year's, Christmas, Thanksgiving, New Year's Day. New Year's Eve, New Year's Day was two. And you had to work two of them, and you you could get two of them off. So I was, uh, I asked for um, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Christmas, let's say. Good choices, because I don't really like New Year's. Then Jim Gaffigan, I had never met him. So I'm a young comedian, and Jim Gaffigan is like um, looking for an opener. And my friend Dan Kaufman, another comedian, was like, can you open for Jim Gaffigan the weekend of New Year's at the Cleveland Improv? And I was like, of course, I'm only working at Bennigan's. I was grateful for the job. I needed the job. Um, but I'm trying to become a comedian. So I said yes. And then I called uh, Bennigan's and my manager's name was Matt Neary. And I, I think I left a message saying like, I mean, however sweet I am now, times a million, just a sweet little baby boy, <laughs> soft and clammy hand and ruddy cheeked. And I'm just calling and I'm like, hi, I'm convinced I'm going to get fired. I'm saying, I know I already had these dates off, but I need to get New Year's off as well because it was coming up. And I'm so sorry. Um, I understand. I probably was like, I understand if this doesn't work. And panicking. Let me go. And I left the message. And then my wife at the time, my ex-wife, and I went and saw Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. And when I tell you that the Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers was about a comedian taking a weekend and thinking he was going to be fired for it. The movie Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers was about a comedian in Chicago who worked at Bennigan's who thought he might get fired. Every orc was just the impending loss of financial security and my job and what a fool I was. And the eye of Sauron was like, you, you were giving up a stable gig to do this. You probably made $150 at the Cleveland Improv. You're going to lose money driving there. Like, it's a waste. You're an idiot. The whole movie. And I have that ticket stub. I have a frame in the house. It's the first $10 I ever made from stand-up. And in the frame, not behind the glass, but tucked in the frame, is the movie ticket for the for the Two Towers. Because uh. it was my little Frodo's hero's journey going like, as silly as it is, and it is, yeah. I was doing something I was really scared. I thought I was going to lose my job. And he did not fire me. And that's why I thanked Matt Neary on my first album. Like, if you read the liner notes, I thank Matt uh. Neary. Because he didn't fire me. And it all worked out. That's so nice, Pete Holmes. Isn't that a fun Funny one? Funny story of you going to the cinema and not feeling shame. I really liked it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. The other one is Shakespeare in Love because that's the first movie I made out with somebody. And it was me and, and the woman. First time ever. And there's boobies on the screen and, and, they're, and I'm making, it's, like, it's like, what is happening? It's as close. Double boobies. I was like a three-way. There's Gwyneth, and I'm actually making out with someone here. And my friend Nick, and I I had dinner with Nick not that long ago, and we laughed about this. He was sitting next to me, and I heard him go, what do I do? (laughs) Like, he didn't. 
<laughs> he was so uncomfortable. There was there was someone with Nick. He just was like, I don't know what to do. Because we were going at it. We were Shakespeare. That was your first time. First time making out in a movie, yeah. Nice. My first date was I mean, the movie Shine. I remember that. Jeffrey Rush. Oh, wow. Yeah. Not as sexy. Not a sexy film. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, oh, look at him having a breakdown. Kiss me. <laughs> Um, what's uh, what's the film you most relate to, Peter Holmes? This is going to make you laugh, I think, because uh, this is an absurd answer. But, Brett, the mm-hmm. film I most relate to is the Bourne trilogy. And I'm going to tell you why. I love it. Do you? You don't need to. You don't need to. <laughs> you get it? But you can- I, I actually think I do, but please tell me. Val was like, he's going to laugh in your face that this like soft, amorphous loud Hillary Swank mouth comedian relates to Jason Bourne, like Matt Damon, peak Damon, kicking ass. Peak Damon, yeah. Go here's, here's why. Because Jason Bourne is a movie about getting away from your family. It's about a lot of things, but it's about getting away from your family. So he is raised, traumatized by the government. He's traumatized by them. And I love my family. They did their best. And there's trauma in any childhood. There's, it's just heavy. It's just a lot. There's grown-ups like Greek gods in your house. They're strange and they yell and there's weird feelings. So there's that's you getting dunked. Can you commit to this? Can you commit to this program? I can't. Dunk. I can't. Can you commit to this program? Guy even sounds like my dad. I can't. Dunk. <laughs> so he's trained. His trauma does to what a lot of people, trauma can often lead to skills. I'm a highly sensitive person. Again, I'm not trying to, I love my parents. I'm only going to say that that one more time. But because they were unpredictable people, I learned to be a finely tuned instrument. I could see a fight coming a mile away. It's where I got my sense of humor. And I could divert it. I spoke dad. I spoke mom. I spoke my brother. No one else spoke anyone else. I really believe that. I was interpreting. I was keeping the peace. That's Jason Bourne going, I know I can run for 45 minutes at this altitude. I know the best place to find a gun is in the cabin of that truck. That's the result of trauma. His trauma was training. But a lot of us, our radioactive spider bite is suffering is some sort of feeling of being out of control, especially when you were small, right? So the rest of the movies is him trying to get away from his family as they chase him, using the skills he got from being with them to avoid them. So it's just people in a room with computers going, where is he? We got to get him. That's my mom going, why don't you call on Sunday? Why why aren't you coming home for Thanksgiving? Why aren't you coming home for Christmas? And I'm ducking. I'm doing Kung Fu. I'm trying to build boundaries. I'm trying to meet people. I'm trying to have a life of my own. And then at the end, he realizes the only way out is through. And he goes back and faces his family. He goes back to the scene of his trauma, now having had great love which is Marie. So he was transformed by a great love. He was loved for who he grew up to be, not who people see him as he was as a child. He's loved for who he grew up to be. And that love transforms him and empowers him to go back to his father, who is like my father, and he doesn't kill him. That's the point. He doesn't kill him. You have to forgive reality and you have to forgive your tormentors. They were doing what they thought was best or what they thought they needed to do 
to get love, to get security or whatever it might be, and he doesn't kill him. That is the point. We go back to our families and we forgive them. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's what I call an ultimatum. That is very good. That is a very good answer. There's no way I was going to laugh in your face for that. All made sense to me. Good. Speaking of Pete Damon, what's the sexiest film you've ever seen, Pete Holmes? I can't believe you said that because my sexiest film is a Damon film. The Martian? The Martian. I can't come without dead cats or red sand. I need one (laughs) or the other. I need one or the other. Look, here's my first answer. Then we'll get to the Damon answer. And I hope you appreciate it as as a comedy man, as a comedian. I listen to this podcast. I hear people say, E tu mama tambien. I hear people saying fucking on the nose sexy shit. And I'm just going like, get the fuck out of here. Blue is the warmest color. Like, get out of here. I'm not saying that movie doesn't turn me on. I'm just saying like, to me, my weird answer, and it goes back to when I was a kid, is comedy nudity will always have a special oh, place interesting in my <laughs> boners gratuitous comedy nudity yeah Go because on. when i watch e2 mama tambien i'm like i don't have a best friend i'm not like a good looking reckless haired boy who's good at soccer and like is charming and drinks tequila and like i can, i have no entry point to that i have no entry point to blue is the warmest color i i'm no one i am no one in that movie show me that movie where's the guy that's going like hello ladies like trying too hard boob shadow rubber bands on his braces boom get the fuck out of here i didn't have a best friend like that and i certainly didn't have a three way with a gorgeous older woman. That is not reality. My closest way to sex and sexuality was comedy. Not only because it's how I first saw it. Scrooged, I think her nipples are showing. Excuse me? Do you remember that in Scrooged? I don't remember that, but I'm not saying you're wrong. I remember it. No, if if it's not in (laughs) there, it's because... If I'm not remembering it, it's been censored. It's in the third act, uh, meaning it's towards the end, and Bill Murray. So there's me. I'm not saying I'm Bill Mm. Murray, but as a kid, I'm like, there's Bill Murray. And there's a beautiful woman, and they bring her up, and it's like a joke? How is this a joke? It's just Boner Town. They're going, look at her outfit. Her nipples are showing. That's the joke? I'm at home going, those are probably some of the first (laughs) boobs I ever saw in my life. Not only are they boobs, it's sort of like a striptease. It's like kind of visible, that's like, ah, like driving me crazy. Um, Kentucky Fried Movie with the boobs on the shower glass. Naked Gun when he's on the ledge and he reaches over. It's not exactly an appropriate joke. It doesn't age well, yeah. but it was a buxom woman. These are these are the airplane during the turbulence, airplane. just boobies yeah. run by. So for the weirdest answer, but the most honest answer is comedy nudity still has like a neural pathway in my brain where I'm like, oh my God. Because everybody's having a good time. Like I, I can see them like discussing the gag and the woman's like in my fantasy is like in on it and enjoying it. And and even that feels fun to me. 
But I could see myself in that situation. I could be Bill Murray. I'm not a, a beautiful Latin boy playing soccer with a with a very voluptuous woman. I am like a wisecracking, sort of uncomfortable guy. And comedy boobs were like the first boobs that I saw. Comedy boobs is an excellent answer, Pete Holmes. I'm going to give you seven points. So you're back on ten. <laughs> All right, let's get to let's let's get to the subcategory: troubling boners, worrying widons. Film you found arousing, you weren't sure you should. Cats. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, they're all alive in that. You weren't into it. <laughs> My answer is talented, Mr. Ripley. I know that's, I, I want to be clear. I don't think it's troubling to be gay. Uh, you know what I'm saying? But like, yeah. as a straight person, watch, I think it's just incredible filmmaking where it transcends sexuality. Yeah. So I, when I say troubling, I, it might be better to say unexpected. When I yes. watch Damon and Jude Law in the bath, sort of playing yeah. grab ass, and like, they're both just Greek god bodies. Like, they're just, any, if they just stood still in a museum, a crowd would form. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So I'm watching it, and every time I watch that movie, Val is is a real connoisseur of sexual tension. And the sexual tension in that scene, it, mm. I relate to it. And I relate to the forbidden love of it. Like, I find that to be unexpected. Yeah. I don't know if it's troubling, but... I get you. It's it's very sexy, actually. Jude Law is, is fucking hot. I get it. I get I get what you're saying. But Brad, it's you know what it is? It's he's catching Matt Damon being horny for him, being attracted to him. Yeah. And as someone who grew up in the church and was really, you know, sort of traumatized by that... That's how I felt my whole life. One of my jokes is I had to come out of the closet as straight because like admitting that you like boobs in the Christian world is still pretty naughty. Like it's like, you fucking weirdo. Like it's gross. It's like, keep that to yourself. And Damon's shame and wanting Jude Law, even though those, you know, male bodies aren't aren't my, you know, cup of tea or whatever you want to say. The feeling of the movie, I get lost yeah. in it. And I'm like, I know what it's like to sneak a peek at somebody that you're really attracted to and you don't want them to know. Because, I mean, that's what my whole adolescence felt like, because I thought sex yeah. was so shameful. But it's also really good filmmaking because you are seeing him through Matt Damon's eyes. And Matt Damon is obsessed and falling in love or lust. And you are too. You Absolutely. are on that journey. And not to ruin it, but then when he kills him, I mean, that is... Mm. That's it's the opposite of moonlight. It's like he's resisting yeah. the love yeah. that's chasing him, and so many of us do that. We would rather believe bad news than good news. Pete Holmes, mm. objectively, what's the greatest film of all time? Might not be your favorite, but what is the greatest film of all time? What is your greatest? I would say Don't Look Now is arguably top three greatest films of all time. Wow. I don't necessarily want to watch it every day. Yeah, you know what I mean. But as a sort of art, the art of cinema, the pinnacle of cinema, I go, it don't get much better than Don't Look Now. That is a fucking, you know. I hate to be an old person saying they don't make them like that anymore, but they don't make them like that anymore. I really, like I just feel like you'll relate to this. The, the trend in art of chasing what people want is so insane. Because when you go like, well, this was popular and these franchises mm. were popular, and this nostalgia is popular and this actor is popular and this style of director and let's put them all together in like a can't miss movie really makes my dick soft 
Because you know what no one would ever say if you got, I, I mean, smart people. I mean, film-loving, yeah. good people. Smart people, not dum-dums. Not like a focus group. Like real good people. And you said, what do you want? What kind of film do you want? None of them are ever going to say, well, Donald Sutherland loses a child. Uh, not much happens. He's in Venice. Uh, and he's plagued by the loss. Giving people what they don't know they want is what art should be. You didn't Preach. know. And you know how I knew what you, what I didn't know I wanted? It was because I'm paying attention to my dreams. I'm paying attention to my subconscious. I'm in my body. I'm listening to those cold spots in my own inner pool. I'm, I, I'm having the courage to fly a kite into a black hole and I pull it back and I go, oh my God, I think Donald Sutherland loses a child. Like instead of reverse engineering how do we give them what they already had so that we can make sure they buy it again is fucking shit. <laughs> it's fucking shit. And it's always wrong. It's always, they, they're, it's always like the thing that is the breakout hit at some point, it happens in films and it might be a Western. And then everyone goes, oh, we got to make a shitload of Westerns. Yeah. And then the Western dies again. And then the thing that actually is the breakout hit was not the thing you were planning. And then you right. just... It's just a fucking cycle. Like, right. People like to be surprised. They just Absolutely. don't think they do. Well, there was a time, you know, I worked with Judd and, and Judd's movies were very surprising at the time. Yeah. 40 year old virgin, these like low fi, low status yeah. anti heroes. Like, believe it or not, younger listeners, but like before the 40 year old virgin, comedies were kind of like, I had a comedy pitch about like two guys that go to a school where the ratio's all fucked up. So there's 13 girls to every guy. That was an idea you would have for a movie in the 90s. Yeah. You'd be like, I think that would be a good movie. It's like Polly Shore. Work. Watch Biodome. There's like, it does not age well. There's like shit in there that you're just like, that is not cool. Yeah. But that's what comedies were. It was, it was to say grab ass again. It was like, we're horny yeah. and you know it and we're scoring and we were cool guys. And then... Apatow comes along and he's like, no, this guy's never had sex and he's a loser and or, or whatever. I'm playing with your idea of loser. So then what happens after 40-year-old virgin knocked up super bad? You start seeing Dinner for Schmucks. I'm not putting down. These are earnest people trying yeah, yeah, to make yeah. a great movie, but it was chasing a trend. I think some of them worked, but then it did start to overstay its welcome when they were trying to imitate the Apatow model. My answer, though, Brett, yes. is uh, There Will Be Blood. And that's that's my answer. You are correct. <laughs> you are correct. <laughs> you got it right. Correct. No, you're correct. You, you. I led you down a path to see where you were going, and you you picked the right film. That is absolutely right. So good, and it changed so good. changed my life. And and in a country, America, that only glorifies consumerism and achievement to have a movie that skewers and shames and belittles and shines a light on what it's like when you're just cutting throats and, and taking the money and actually breaks that character and shows just how sad that is. What an achievement. That's giving people something they didn't know they want. You know what I mean? It tricks have you. Have you changed like, your life? Just the, it, it got me in touch with my anger. He's so mad at Paul Dano's character, at Eli. And I was like, I think if we're being honest, when he's like, aren't you an ambassador of the Holy Spirit? 
can't you hear my son? I was like, yeah, we all sort of feel that way, don't we? Like, we all have that anger. This is what I'm talking about, forgiving reality, is the first forgiveness. Is like, it's, it is a nightmare at times. It's a, it's a beautiful, and it's a nightmare. And it's both. It's holding those two together. And here's a guy who just wants to win, just wants to make it make it blow gold everywhere. Like, when, when I can't get a minute to come back into my office and work, I hear his voice going like, if I don't get to write this screenplay, then it can't blow gold everywhere. Like, it's the voice of the untethered ego, the drive that would literally kill to not be a schmuck, to not be a loser. But the fact that it has the honesty... It's like movies that show violence, but aren't honest about the repercussions of violence. Aren't always great movies. There's, there's, you know, Kill Bill and stylized violence. But I'm saying like real movies to me show a fault, blind ambition and greed, and then show the consequence of it. He's alone in that sad old man sweater, killing sort of his only friend, you know, mm-hmm. like his frenemy, he murders him. He's going to get caught this time, you know. And he uh, sits like he's, he sits like he's shot himself, like he's sat in a diaper and he sort of goes, finished. Yeah, that's like, right. Come and, come, and, come and wipe my bum. It's like that yes. sort of it. The, the message of that movie is, to one of them is, having all of your needs met or having everything you ever wanted is not the answer. And unfortunately, there's too many movies there's too many comedians even where the subtext is, if you get money, you'll be okay. And I just, anything that puts a dick in that cake is okay by me. Yeah, yeah. Hard, <laughs> hard to agree. Uh, I'm giving you 500 points. That's weird. <laughs> um, what, what's the film that you could or have watched the most over and over again? I am... An obsessive movie watcher. I think we've talked about we both love Mad Men. I've watched the whole of Mad Men way too many times. But the best answer, and I have seven or eight movies written down here. The best answer for the movie that I always want to watch, meaning I watched it a week ago and I would watch it with you this afternoon, is About Schmidt. I can't stop watching About Schmidt. I think it's perfect. I think it's funny, I, yeah. and it helps me make sense a little bit of the world. Like it, it really. Mm. Here's what it is, man. Is like a lot of times I go around. You know how Thoreau said the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. Right. Yes. That makes me sad, and that weight needs expression in art. And when I watch that movie, I go like, "Look, here's an ordinary life, but it's filled with." It, if you look closely, everything is there. And he learns that. When he gives the toast at the end of the movie, you see that he's learned to love the imperfections, that he stopped wanting reality to be something that it's not. And he starts loving it for what it is. And it happens because of a loss. My, my homeboy Richard Rohr calls that falling upward. He falls upward. He loses his wife. I don't want to give too many spoilers. That's in the trailer, I'm sure. And he just keeps getting broken again and again and again. And to quote Leonard Cohen, it's the cracks that let the light through. At the end, he stops hoping for something else. He stops doing what's expected, and he starts waking up to what is. And 
forgiving it. You see a man forgiving it. He forgives mm. it. And we all motherfucking have to forgive reality. And it's for you. It's for you to forgive it. That's about Schmidt. Okay. Very good. You're so British. I'm going to make you cry. I'm going to make you cry, you <laughs> salty Brit. I heard you say you don't cry. I'm going for it. I'm actually not going for it. But you're close. I also just think it's a, a perfectly made movie. Really good. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So... How'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's the, what is the film? We don't like to be negative, Pete, although mm. you tried it, you tried it earlier and I didn't like it today. <laughs> but, no, but now. It was a leading gonna, question. It was leading, but I wasn't expecting Feel the Dreams to get dunked on, and not on my watch. But <laughs> what's the what's the film? What's the worst film you've ever seen? <sighs> Maybe this is a cop out because so many people don't like these movies. But the newer, any newer thing where Superman's in it, I <laughs> I I hate it because super. I I don't like that style where it's like we're not even trying to look like we're not on a green screen. There's just like blue-green yeah. smoke in every scene. Um, everybody's saying what they are thinking. Like mm -hmm. there's no subtext. There's no yeah. appreciation for how characters and human beings actually communicate, which is sometimes you say the opposite of what you're thinking or feeling. I mean, pay attention. 
You do that. Everyone does that. You say you love something and you hate it, or you say you want to do something and you don't want to do it. But in those movies, everybody's just expressing their clean, freshly faxed in opinion, and they say it. Lois Lane is like, I'm a hothead reporter, and I'm going to chase this story, and I don't care if you've never seen a woman in this position. I'm going to show you what's what. And then she does. And Superman is just not a compelling hero. He's invincible. Like we're saying, like I like wounds. I like things that remind us of the way that the universe works. And the way the universe works is it works with your wounds. It works with your wounds. And Superman loses his planet, but fuck off. You were a baby and you had a, you know what I mean? You didn't know them. You don't know Krypton. Yeah. And then nothing hurts you except Kryptonite. So it's always Kryptonite. It's going to be Kryptonite. That's going to be the twist. But there was one little piece of kryptonite. Or it's going to be two super invincible people bashing into each other with no stakes. This is going to be more controversial, but I have the same problem with Harry Potter. It's magic being shot at magic. And you're like, which magic is stronger? It's just pew, 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 pew. Oh, yeah? Pew, 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 pew. And I'm like, this is stakeless. (laughs) This is the definition of nonsense. Like, I'm not saying those are bad movies. But Superman is just too impenetrable things trying to penetrate each other it's a waste of time look i i say i hate cgi I hate it unless i don't notice it and then i'm impressed by it <laughs> wilson the volleyball that's a reference for val she's gonna listen to this she'll know what i mean you make me care about a volleyball don't make me not care about a city that's what that's the magic of cinema that's we, so true. we care about tokens like we care about them we we again to say imbue we imbue them with meaning now, Pete Holmes, you're in comedy, you're a comedian, you're very funny. What's the film that made you laugh the most? Here's two things I, I'm not. I'm not a guy who gets stoned a lot and watches movies. I actually think it ruins them. And, oh, I also don't like bad movies. You know how people like bad movies? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I've seen The Room, it's fine. I prefer The Disaster Artist. I like the movie about the movie. But Kung Pao Foot Fist Way, if you're stoned and you don't know what it is, I don't know if I, I still don't know what it is. I saw it and I still don't know what it is. Val and I watched it and I, I got stoned and it's so confusing and strange. You stop trying to understand it and you just let it happen that he's fighting a baby. And and you just, I just started weeping with like healing laughter. I was like, they've done it. They figured out what's funny. And it's Kung Pao, Foot Fist Way. And I'm sure everybody says Borat. That was my sober, hardest laugh was Borat in the theaters. But Kung Pao, Foot Fist Way. Really good. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. Good one, Dad. (sighs) Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. PMs, you've been wonderful. Of course you have. No one expected anything less from you. (laughs) However, when you were trying to save some dead cats and you covered yourself in in moisturizing cream, body or lube, and you went through a, a hole in the wall and you put nipple clamps on your nipples and slaps into the size of the bed and then you got a boner and then you and as i died the aneurysm made me jizz yes yeah then you had an aneurysm for no good reason and then you jizzed and then you were dead and surrounded by dead cats i'm passing by with a coffin you know i'm like i wonder what pete's up to i think he's in town doing a show i think he's staying in this motel i knock on the door pete Oh, he's very quiet. I can't even hear cats meowing. He's always got cats with him. I've knocked down the door. There you are. I'm not the first one there. There's loads and loads of press in the room. They're just taking pictures. Like, I didn't listen. I know what it looks like. I know this guy. Trust me. Trust me. He was trying to save these cats. I'm sure this is just a terrible tragedy. Get out of here, guys. And I, I put you in the coffin. And but I also put all the dead cats in there with you because I know that's what you'd want. Of course. I want you to enjoy coming for the rest of eternity until you press a button saying something happens. And I have quarter, half dollars on my eyes and they have dimes yeah. on their eyes. <laughs> yeah. Little kitty eyes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, and your boner is still there, which of makes course. it difficult. I have to chop off your boner and put it, just mix it up with the, the dead cats. Anyway, <laughs> the coffin is absolutely packed. Boners, dead cats in you. And the nipple clamps. Of course, of course. Industrial strength. I'm not strong enough and I'm strong. Yeah. (laughs) Only enough room in this coffin to put one DVD into the side, jam it in the side for you to take across to the other side. And on the other side, there is no thing. There's movie night every night. And one night, it's your movie night. What film are you taking to show everyone when it's your movie night? Pete Holmes. You know, that's interesting. I think the DVD that cleans the lens. (laughs) 
You know that one? It has the little brush and you hear it go. Because I'm there to kind. help everyone watch their movies. That's very kind. <laughs> I actually, That's you know, kind. it's not the movie that I would want to show in the No Thing Other Life uh, or whatever. But the movie that has the most bove or zhuzh or like, it's just like a relic. Like I consider like a DVD of this movie to be like a holy item is the documentary Into Great Silence. You have to say it carefully because it sounds like Into Great Silence. Into Great Silence. It's where these French filmmakers had access to this monastery that they had never given access to. And it is, you can't watch it, in my opinion, especially if it's in a theater, which I've never had the pleasure, but I've you know turned the lights off and did my best. It just is the feeling of when someone reminds you that this is it. You know what I mean? It slows you down to the point where you feel like you're underwater. And there's ASMR in it. There's like cutting felt robes with big shears. And there's like making soup. And it's just like monks looking out a stone window, just watching the sunrise. There's no story. There's nothing. It shows them shoveling snow. But if you see someone who's present shoveling the snow who knows that that's all they're doing is shoveling snow. Shoveling snow is enough to convert you or help you. I don't mean convert to a religion. I mean, transform you. I mean, it's enough to make you go as I hope you are talking to me. And I hope as everyone listening, this is it. This is it. And it's enough. And it's enough. Not what am I going to listen to after this? What not? What am I going to eat after this? Not how much sleep am I going to get tonight? But just dropping anchor in this. And the great Eckhart Tolle says, how you feel right now is how you feel about your life. We think it's like this summary, like we, we're going to do all these cool things. And at the end, we'll look at the summary, like the recap, the season recap and go, that was a good life. Fuck that shit. It's just this. How you feel right now is how you feel about your life. And a movie like that will make you feel beautiful just washing the dishes. Well, they're going to have a lovely time with you. Uh, Pete Holmes, <laughs> it is lovely being a void looking into your void. Um, <laughs> is there anything you would like to tell people to look out for or listen to or watch? Ted Lasso season two. Um, it's sure, out now. Sure. Can Nate have an Android now? Can he, now that he's wicked? An Android? Yeah, an Android oh, telephone. An Android phone. <laughs> <laughs> of course, he has to now. Yeah. Now that he's bad, he, he has to have a Google phone. Yeah. Um, well, Smallwood will be out, um, but I, I always like to draw people. Listen to Brett's episode of my podcast, one of the best ghost stories we've ever had on the show. Pete's podcast is really, really brilliant. If you haven't listened to it, I highly recommend it. That's that's what I'd like to promote. But specifically, your episode is a great place to start because I already like you, and that's a that's a fun side of you. Well, you. God bless you, Pete Himes. You've been a joy. Thank you. Thanks, man. And have a wonderful no thing death. <laughs> Take care. <laughs>
So that was another Rewind Classic. We'll be back on August 9th with 10 brand new episodes. Thanks for listening. Hope you're all well. Hope you're having a lovely summer. Thank you to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it. Thanks to iHeartMedia and Will Ferrell's Big Money Players Network for hosting it. Thanks to Adam Richardson for the graphics and Lisa Lydon for the photography. So that is it for now. In the meantime, have a lovely week and please be excellent to each other. Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, the podcast from Hell of Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Like our recent episode with sisters Regina and Raina King about the why behind their production company, Royal Ties. We have such a huge love for storytelling without walls, without barriers. Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi. I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.